You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. Thank you, everyone. Good morning. I'm going to be reading from Mark 6, verse 7 to 13 today. Then Jesus went around, teaching from village to village, calling the twelve to him. He began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing from the, for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed with oil many people who were ill and healed them. Brilliant. Thank you, Vish. Yeah. I don't know if that was for the reading or an expectation of me, but uh, I'll say thank you, Vish. If it was for me, I hope you're a bit more rapturous. No. Let's see how we do. It's brilliant to be here this morning. If uh, you've not been around the last few weeks, we're going on a series through the Gospel of Mark. And uh, this is our fifth week together. And what we see in this passage is a foreshadow of the Great Commission. Where ultimately, following his death and resurrection, Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. And, um, and this passage in Mark is kind of part of the disciples' training. This is the first time they've been sent out on mission, um, and they're being obedient, and they're exercising that muscle of faith. And so this morning, as we look at this passage, we're just going to look at three things together. Uh, if I need to move this, just tell me. Um, first, that Jesus says, go knowing him. He then says, go together, and he says, go quickly. So forgive me while I clip, see if that helps. Um, So we're going to walk through the passage and we're going to think what this means for us today. What does being sent by God look like for us sitting in Ealing in 2023? And um, so, so Mark's gospel is the written account of Peter's testimony. So Peter was one of the disciples. He saw firsthand Jesus perform many miracles. And then he went around Asia Minor establishing churches. And Mark was with him the whole time. And he was writing it down. And it has that pace, that energy of scene to scene, action to action. And already in just five chapters, what we see is following his baptism, that Jesus goes. He calls his disciples. He goes from village to village. He's preaching. He's teaching. Um, He's driving out impure spirits. He's healing many people. And he's gathering increasingly large crowds around him. And in chapter 3, just picking up there, Jesus appoints the twelve. As a, and I pause here because these, this is the kind of the same 12 that he then appoint, he then commissions in chapter 6 as well. And it says in chapter 3, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and have authority over demons. And these are the 12 he appointed. Uh, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of uh, Zebedee, and his brother John, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who we know, many of us, that he betrayed him. And this in chapter 3 is the first moment 
of choosing and commissioning his disciples. And what's happened just before this is that a, a huge crowd had started following Jesus. His fame was starting to be known in the whole area. People were coming from near and far. They were actually on the shores of Lake Galilee. And the crowd was so great that Jesus is like, get me a boat. There's people pressing in from all sides. You know, I don't know if we knew that Jesus could swim or not. But he's like, get me a boat. Um, you know, it's not safe. And then he says, um, Jesus called to him those he wanted and they came to him. And at this stage, it's selective. It's out of the crowd, Jesus calls 12 by name. And we know that they included fishermen, and we know they included a tax collector. Uh, but William Barclay, who's a Bible commenter, says this about the disciples. The men whom Jesus chose had no special qualifications at all. They were not wealthy. They had no special social position. They had no special education. They were not trained theologians. They were not high-ranking religious leaders. They were 12 ordinary men. To put it more simply, he called them 12 ordinary men. Then he equipped them, not the other way around. They had nothing particular in themselves that was special or set them apart, but they had a willingness to radically obey Christ. And he says that he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out. So the first step here is to be with Jesus. We very quickly can get to being sent out, but the first instruction to the disciples is to be with Jesus. Spend time in his presence, being shaped by a friend. Witness his miracles. Grow your faith as you see him perform miracles. Hear his teaching firsthand. See how he responds in tricky situations. Spend time with Jesus, learning from him. And uh, they were his closest companions. They were there everywhere he went. And um, so it's a little bit dated, but I really like the West Wing. Anyone else? Okay, a few. It's a bit old. But all you need to know if you've not seen it is it's a story of the greatest American president. Okay, it's a film, you know, TV show, but uh, Jed Bartlett. And he's a brilliant president. And uh, he has this gang of people around him, uh, CJ, you know, Toby, Josh, Sam in the first few series. And, uh, and they're his, like, inner gang, you know. They are his entourage. So they're with him wherever the president may go. And they play basketball in between the negotiations at Camp David. They have the Chinese takeaway in those iconic boxes in the Roosevelt Room. You know, and they travel with the president wherever he goes. They're his bagmen. They advise. They, they also get challenged by the president. You know, they debate things together. They're being formed in his presence. And that's what it's like to be a disciple, that they traveled with him. They got to spend every day. You know, there's this throwaway verse at the end of John that talks about, and Jesus said many more things. You know, what we read in the gospel is just a, a picture. It's just a snapshot of what Jesus did with his disciples. Then they saw it all. And, um, and uh, they were there, you know, when Jesus walked on water, when he calmed the storm, when he drove out demons. They were there, like Paul was preaching last week, when he rocked up in his hometown and was rejected. You know, they saw it all. And it was from this place of friendship that then Jesus sends them in chapter 6. That he says, calling 12 to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. It sounds so simple. He called and he sent However, it was from that place of relationship. Uh, James R. Edwards, he says, discipleship is a relationship before it's a task. A who before a what. So easy to rush to the kind of action and activity, but perhaps your takeaway this morning is to spend time with Jesus, to go knowing him. 
And uh, not only did they have a relationship with Jesus, but he had a relationship with them. And, um, you know, he saw them warts and all as well. Uh, Donald English, he says this in the Bible Speaks today, it's difficult to exaggerate the risk um, in sending, that Jesus took in sending his disciples out to teach and heal. The impression of them created by Mark so far falls well short of complimentary. They do not understand his teaching, they do not trust his will or power to protect them. The point here is to be used by God, you don't need to be the finished, polished product. Um, Indeed, if you were to wait for every question to be answered, you'd just forever be waiting. And the wonder of the gospel is that God wants to use you and me. That's all of us. He wants to use us in his great kingdom purposes. So uh, we run the Alpha Course at Redeemer. Uh, A number of us would have done it. In fact, millions have done it around the world. And uh, if you don't know about the Alpha Course, it's a space where you can come with many questions and ask about the Christian faith. And you know, no rules, anything goes. You can ask whatever you want, and that's, and that's the joy of it. And I actually worked for Alpha until last August, and as part of, you know, working for them, I actually wanted to experience what Alpha was like at Holy Trinity Brompton, which was the church that started Alpha way back in the kind of late 80s. And one thing I saw in the way they ran Alpha that I really loved was that as soon as someone had been a guest and so often come to know Jesus, is that they said straight away, come and serve. As soon as someone had been a guest, they'd come to know Jesus, maybe their faith was weeks or months old, they said, come and serve, be on the next terms team. Because it wasn't about their years of service uh, that qualified them to be used by God, but it was actually having met and encountered the living Jesus. That's what qualifies them. And you might be sitting here going, yeah, I could maybe be used by God, but this, but this, but this, but this. (laughs) And, And what we see in the disciple story is that they had flaws, they had doubts, but Jesus said, I will use you. And um, that encourages me, because I've got many flaws. <laughs> uh, you know, I've got those doubts as well. And I'm not saying don't, you know, ignore those things. Um, I'm saying, you know, you can still spend time answering them, but you can still be used by God. And just even this morning, just, um, this was on my mind. You know, last week, so many responded to that message about rejection, what Paul was saying about you feeling like you're in a cave. You might be disqualifying yourself because you've faced rejection, um, and you might have been coming out of the cave, and now's that chance to be used by God. Because this verse of Jesus sending out his disciples directly follows the rejection. So what's Jesus' response to rejection? His response is, go, multiply, have greater impact. And so if you've um, disqualified yourself because something has happened in your life, Jesus doesn't disqualify you. And we're going to go on to talk about some examples in a moment. And don't disqualify yourself if you don't have the skills. You know, to be used by God doesn't just require people to speak from the front. You know, being used by God is bringing your IT skills or, or, you know, bringing your, hey, let's say AI. I'm sure we're going to need people in the kingdom who understand AI. It feels like everyone else is talking about it. Um, Why not here? You know, you can be used by God with whatever skills he's placed in you. Um, anyway, back to, the, back to what I plan to say. Um, James R. Edwards says that the sending of these particular individuals and at this stage of their understanding of Jesus testifies to the beleaguered believers in Mark's church, indeed to believers of every age, that's you and me, that the fulfillment of the word of God depends not on the perfection of merit of the missionaries, but on the authority to call and equipping of Jesus. So spend time with him. 
And if you're new amongst us or you've never said, yeah, count me in, I, Jesus, you're my saviour, you'll have a chance to respond this morning. And, uh, and there'll be a prayer that we'll say, and maybe even now you feel quickened to say, oh, I want to respond to Jesus today. And that quickening in your heart is the Holy Spirit at work. And uh, just be obedient to that this morning, and we'll be able to pray after. And so go together. From that place of personal relationship with Jesus, Jesus sent them out two by two. We're not called out to work our mission alone, but together in community, in camaraderie, in pairs, together. A passage known to be read at weddings, but we're allowed to read at other times, is from Ecclesiastes 4. It says, two are better than one, because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, the other one can help them up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them. You know, we're called to be together. J.C. Ryle says, two men together will do more work than two men singly. They will help one another in judgment and commit fewer mistakes. They will aid one another in difficulties and less often fail success. They will stir one another when tempted to idleness and less often relapse into indolence and indifference. They will comfort one another in times of trial and be less often cast down. And this is the pattern that we see in the early church. So, Going back to the beginning, I said that this is like the training ground for the disciples. This is their first mission out, independent of Jesus, but then following Jesus' ascension, what we see is is the explosion of the early church through Paul and many apostles, and they traveled in pairs. Rarely in the book of Acts do we see uh, an apostle going alone. They're always working together, um, you know, ironing, iron, ironing, (laughs) iron, sharpening iron. There you go, a bit domesticated. I, I ironed the shirt before I came. Um, we, and we know that Jesus had faced rejection just before this. Um, and, you know, he faced rejection from those he had known his whole life. And he prepares the disciples to expect the same. He fully expects the task ahead to be challenging, but he does not send them alone. So I now work for an organization called Meda. We're a Christian humanitarian NGO. And uh, we're active in responding with life-saving healthcare, nutrition, and the delivery of safe water in the wake of disaster, disease, and displacement. And what's behind you is a picture from the response to our, the Turkey earthquake back in February. My colleagues go against the flow of people. So back to last spring, when uh, thousands, tens, hundreds of thousands, were crossing the border every day from Ukraine into Poland, my team were desperately trying to get into Ukraine trying to get access into that country to meet the people in greatest need. And we're proud that we were the first NGO into Kyiv delivering our humanitarian response last spring. You know, more recently in Sudan, uh, it's just awful conflict that we just so overlook here. It's, you know, if you think to a few months back, the, the, the news started, stopped reporting about Sudan the moment the last international person left. It was horrific. I, got the, like, I know the day that my colleagues were flown out of Sudan, and the next day, because that was all the other international people, the news just went away. But the catastrophe in Sudan persists, and our national team has not missed a single day in responding to the humanitarian crisis there, and they're now actually relaunching our programs in Khartoum as well. And, and the point of me is saying this is twofold. Firstly, Pete's away. No. Uh, firstly, um, Pete gave me complete carte blanche. He said, talk about Mera. Um, so you're lucky I didn't open with it, basically, okay? <laughs> but the, the, the second thing is, is that when we go and we send our teams into these hostile territories, they don't go alone. And that's what it's like to be on mission. You know, don't go alone. 
And so um, we've got this team at Meadow called the Global Emergency Response Team, GERT. We, we love acronyms. And uh, this is the team that whenever uh, a disaster happens, they mobilize straight away. So we have this 24-3-7 framework. So within 24 hours, say, of the earthquake, we're making a decision. Do we go or do we not go? Within three days, we've got team on the ground. And within seven days, at least, you know, or maximum, we're delivering that life-saving humanitarian care. So my colleague here, this is Rebecca. I actually had lunch with her. And this is Bex, and this is Damon. Rebecca was taking the photo. They get the phone call on the Monday. They pack up their bags. They put their life on pause, and they go. They arrived in Turkey on Wednesday morning. And this is them actually loading up a vehicle in Istanbul with whatever they could get from the supermarket. We didn't have active programs there. We had no supply chain. So they're literally there. They're buying baby wipes. They're buying nappies. They're buying tampons. They're buying essential hygiene kits from Istanbul, from a supermarket, and just driving them down by lorry. And then we were able to set up supply chains, get stoves, because it's the middle of winter, and, and other, other essential items later on. But in going, they go together. And as I was saying, back to Rebecca on the, ne on the next picture, I had lunch with her this week, this week. We'd not met before. And knowing that I was speaking on this topic today, I just asked, what does it mean to go together and not alone? And she just said, well, every morning... Uh, we would open the Bible together and we would just orientate ourselves around a verse, around Jesus and around each other because they don't know what their day holds. They didn't know what, who they're going to meet, what they're going to encounter, and they just wanted to orientate themselves around God and around Jesus. And then um, simply the team is there to pick each other up when they're down. I, Rebecca was telling me pictures of this is essentially a multi-story house and you can't see the bottom layers because it's just collapsed. And when they're there meeting mothers who've lost their children, and when they're there meeting fathers who've just found out their son is dead or their daughter's dead, that takes a toll on them as a team. And she just said, going together means that we can weep in the back of the van when we drive away. And just having someone there to, to, to go with, you know, to exhort, to encourage one another with. And that is um, what we're called to be uh, as Christians. You know, it says in Hebrews 10, let us consider how we may spur one another toward love and good needs, not giving up meeting together as some may do, uh, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. And it feels like a really extreme example to talk about humanitarian response. But, you know, it's a helpful example because you're sometimes in the Christian faith, you're going to be in battles. And you need people alongside you, and you need to put yourself alongside each other to encourage and exhort uh, one another. And um, hey, if you want to find out more about Meda, there's a little leaflet on the way out. I'd love to tell you. But uh, that's the Meda bit, you know. And um, so the question is, who are you encouraging? Who are you coming alongside, and who is encouraging you? Just unplanned, Lois, oh, well, she had planned it, talked about serving. You know, if you want to serve, that's a great way of getting to know each other in the church. You know, we just heard that we need people on youth and youth and kids. Uh, and if you want to volunteer on youth and kids, you're going to come alongside one another. You're going to serve together. You can also serve on welcome, refreshment, sound, visuals, set up prayer, pastoral team. So again, you don't, your skills can come to bear. We don't have an AI team yet, but you know, your skills can come to bear in service of the church and coming alongside one another. Your decision may just be to turn up at 10 o'clock, not at 10.40. So you've got more time to have a coffee and get to know one another and encourage one another before we even start our service. So we're, those 
two first principles, go knowing him, go together, and thirdly, go quickly. It says this, now these were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belt. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. First then, take nothing for the journey. I didn't have a clock at all. I hope I'm fine. Uh, (laughs) I forgot my phone. Take nothing for the journey. You know, these passages give the gospel and sharing the gospel an urgency. There's no time to waste. You know, furthermore, following the instructions make you dependent on the hospitality of strangers. And it makes you dependent on the faithfulness of God as well. You know, commentators, uh, we'll just skip the next uh, slide. Commentators make the direct comparison with the instructions God gave the Israelites on their flight from Egypt, where God came to the Israelites in their slavery and he says, go. And he says, take your cloak, your belt, your sandals, your staff. So to these readers, to these people, these instructions had the same urgency of the exodus, (laughs) you know, this pace of action. And as I've been preparing this message, this has really challenged me. Do I live with that same urgency to share the gospel? It's easy for me to think about with Meda and the humanitarian response. You think, well, this is life and death. We go quickly. Do I live with that same urgency of life and death? We go quickly when it comes to sharing the gospel. I don't. Life can get in the way. And that may be your story as well. You know, I've loved being part of Redeemer for 11 years. You know, I moved here to help be part of the team to start the church. And when I moved here, I could think these were... There were life decisions that I made to make myself more able to share the gospel. I didn't find a flat on Christian flat share. I chose to find one on Gumtree, just so I could live with people who didn't know Jesus. I worked for a Christian organization at the time, so if I didn't do that, then hey, everyone I knew was going to be Christian. And um, there may be things that you can do in your life that puts you in front of others. You know, did revival come at 108 Greenford Avenue, where I lived at the time? No. But I did, but I was able to share my faith readily and quickly and on multiple occasions with all of my housemates. And there may be things that you can do in your life, you know, to share Jesus more readily, more urgently with friends, with families, with uh, parents at the school gate, with your workplace colleagues. You know, who can you share your faith with? And, um, yeah, the other perspective here is to rely on the kindness of strangers, Um, Tim Keller, he says that he doesn't want people to go with a war chest. I don't want you to go with so much money that you can live on the outskirts of town and commute in and preach on the square. He says, I want you to go dependent on the hospitality of the people you are ministering to. I want you to really live among them. These instructions to take nothing for the road, it, it quickened their feet, but it also transformed their strategy. The disciples were not told to go shout it from the rooftops. There would be a town crier in the, in the town square. They were told to go into people's homes, live with them, share the gospel with them. You know, I have been known to tell a long-winded story. I don't want to ask for hands. You know, it would be embarrassing. Uh, thanks, Rich. That was quite quick. Uh, <laughs> um, I've been known to tell a long-winded story, but I don't think I've ever rocked up at someone's house for dinner with a PowerPoint and uh, been like, well, here's, here's my story for the week. Uh, you know, and I think the instructions that Jesus gives are not to 
uh, are to go and have a conversation with people, go into people's homes to build relationship. And that's what we love to do at Redeemer. We use that acrostic of bless, you know, begin with prayer, listen, eat, serve, then share the gospel. Um, you know, and, and that may be your encouragement for today as well. However, it also says um, this in verse 11. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. And on first reading this, I was like, what to make of that? You know, if you read it, shake your dust off your feet as a testimony against them. You know, it has that sense of it being cold and abrasive, really cold and abrasive. And, and, this, and the, there's a few opinions on this, but what this really is is a picture of what uh, of Jews shaking the dust off their feet as they enter the Gentile, Gentile territory, and this is now subverting it on its head. But again, Tim Keller, he gives, I think, the most helpful explanation. He says, In many cases, people will reject you, and then you'll have to shake the dust off your feet, which is an ancient Near Eastern way of saying, you are now responsible for what I've told you. I've told you about Jesus, I've given the information, and now your responsibility belongs to you. And, and this is a helpful truth for us to hold. Our role, what Jesus is calling us to, is to go and make disciples, to share the good news, to share the gospel, to preach a message of repentance. But we are not wholly responsible for people's response. Our responsibility is to share. And if some people respond and some people don't, that's not all of our responsibility. We're told to then go to the next house because after all, it's an urgent task. And just a brief aside on these specific instructions about the items and everything, there's consensus that this was specific instructions for a specific time as part of their training. Jason Meyer says, this command is a unique prescription, not intended for all missions. Other texts say to send Christians out in a manner worthy of God, so they do not need to accept anything from those who do not know God. So in our mission today, we don't need to have always the same mentality of well, I can only take these four things with me, but we, let's take the spirit of it. And the spirit of it is to go and, and seek out the generosity or, and, and not live up on the top of the hill and, fly, and parachute in this evangelism, but live amongst people and share our faith with people. And what was the outcome, the result? Well, it says in verse 12 that they went out and preached that many people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people and healed them. And then later at the end, well, middle of chapter 6, verse 30, there's this little interlude with John the Baptist, and then, we, and then the disciples come back uh, to Jesus, and it says, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. And there's this sense then of them reporting back a successful mission, that they were indeed successful in those endeavors. And this was the first step in their training, in their uh, kind of uh, mission journey of being sent out. So uh, finally then, what does it mean to be sent by Jesus today? In the uh, late 1970s, the late Ecuadorian theologian René Padilla coined the term integral mission. And this, this basically expanded the view of Christian mission from purely as proclamation and preaching the gospel, establishing churches, and brought greater emphasis on acts of compassion as a way of bearing witness to the gospel of Jesus. And I, 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 just, I love that approach of integral mission. Um, he says this, and it's quite a long quote, so it's not all up there. But to quote René, he says, Mission may or may not include a crossing of geographical frontiers, but in every case it means primarily a crossing of the frontier between faith and no faith, whether in one's own country, at home, or in a foreign country on the mission field. 
Commitment to mission is the very essence of being the church. Therefore, the church that is not committed to the mission of witnessing to Jesus Christ and thus crossing the frontier between faith and no faith is no longer the church, but simply a religious club, a group of friends or a social welfare agency. Mission is not the responsibility and privilege of a small group of the faithful who feel called to the mission field, usually in a foreign country, but of all members, since we are all members of the royal priesthood. We are all called to be missionaries for Christ. And this may be a specific call or role that takes us overseas, but it's also wherever we are right now, with families, with friends, at the school gate, with our neighbours. You know, so when my colleagues go, they go motivated by their Christian faith, in the power of the Holy Spirit uh, to bring about God's kingdom. However, Meda does not preach or witness We serve people of all faiths and none, placing no condition on any of our aid, but our acts of compassion bear witness to Christ. And then sometimes, in some locations, we're able to share that in in very extreme places around the world. And actually, your response may be that you do want to go. And people like Medair and InterServe and other agencies need people to go. (laughs) You may be an engineer, a midwife, uh, an accountant, you may have some skill that is, is needed in, in, this, in, this, in, this, in this humanitarian response. And actually, if that's something that you've long felt called to, I'd love to talk to you afterwards and share more about that as well. It may also be that you can just go this summer. Uh, I think Greg's just popped out, but uh, put your hand up. <laughs> um, you know, we're, we're sending a team over to Moldova. You know, in August, we're getting a group of people from Redeemer to go to Moldova to be a blessing to that center that Greg uh, has been part of for many years. And you can go, uh, you know, chat to him. You know, there might be some idea about what skills are good. But if you want to go and actually um, reach that community in Moldova with Redeemer, then you can go this summer. So speak to Greg as well. Some of you may know that Anugra, my wife, she was born in the Seychelles. I'm paradise, I'm told. We're, we're yet to go. Uh, she hasn't taken me yet. But, uh, and my in-laws, they were and they are missionaries. And in the Seychelles, they ran a radio station. And from the Seychelles, they could do long wave all across India, Africa, and the Middle East. And they ran a, the radio station that broadcast Christian programs all across India um, from the Seychelles. And so clearly, by many definitions, they were missionaries. You know, they were in a, in a foreign country, and they were, they were directly telling people about Jesus as well. But my growing up, I grew up in Woking, which isn't paradise. Um, and my... That one's for you, Mark. Um, and, uh, you know, my... Anyway, where did I go? My, you know, it wasn't paradise, but it had a radio station. And there were volunteers at the church who would actually record Christian programs at the Coin Church in Woking. And my dad was one of them. He was one of the volunteers. And he would record these Christian dramas or record these Christian programs. And um, unbeknown, he would send them to other people around the world. One day, when my dad was alive, he was talking to my father-in-law. And they got talking about radio and they got talking about this. And it turns out that my dad had recorded these, uh, these Christian programs that they were broadcast by my now father-in-law in the Seychelles. I know, it's, it's lovely, isn't it? Like, it's, it's a really lovely, in, you know, incidental story about my, my family. But actually, what we see in there is we can, we can be part of God's mission wherever we are. You know, my dad was doing this when it was long-wave radio, you know, and now we have the internet. Now we have all sorts of technology, and you can actually bring your skills and experience to bear for God's kingdom from healing, and you can partner with people in the Seychelles, you know, and I hope to visit one day. Uh, but, um, 
And so your response may be to go. Your response may be to think, well, where's my mission field in my hometown? Your response may be to be, how can I enable God's mission uh, wherever I am, you know, around the world from here? And that can include go, you know, your skills as well as your money. You can give. You can give to Meta. <laughs> you can give to many other causes. You know, um, Rick Warren has got this uh, kind of, I don't know what to call it, this campaign called Finish the Task. By 2033, can, can we see the Bible translation finished? Can we see a church in every culture? You know, there are, there are these initiatives that you can say, I want to get involved with as well. And so, to finish, uh, no matter where we are, we have a part to play. And uh, in Luke 24, he says this. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high.